This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As promised on last week's show, we're going to have a chat in our third segment today with film historian David Keane about the Niles SNA Silent Film Museum and their Bronco Billy Silent Film Festival to take place this weekend. By coincidence, it turns out the Sacramento Bee had a nice write-up on this very same museum, courtesy of Sam McManus, who's doing some great, uh, great writing about uh, good travel destinations in Northern California. In fact, I'm sure we'll quote a bit from uh, Sam's excellent piece before we're done. We've talked about this museum and some of the excellent work they do on the program in the past, and we'll probably do so again next month in conjunction with the San Francisco Silent Film Festival to take place between July 18th and the 20th. Our sometime contributor, Matt Perry, himself a bit of a film historian, was surprised to learn about this museum's location, something we've now rectified, because this is a, a really cool enterprise. But let us start today's program, as we like to do, with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 27th of June. It was on June 27th in 1918, which strikes us as rather late, that a parachute was deployed on command, saving a German pilot. This was the first successful use of this aviation safety device. It's also, of course, a recreational sports device as well, as people who have done some skydiving out in the Yolo County Airport, can readily attest. On June 27, 1954, the world's first nuclear generator began producing power in the Soviet Union, which 25 years later would experience the worst hazard of this uh, technology when the Chernobyl plant suffered a meltdown which contaminated thousands of miles surrounding the site. This has been quite a black eye, uh, to the development of nuclear power, but uh, we do have to note that in fairness, the Russians were using a Model T nuclear generator without a containment shell, and they did a lot of stupid things, and there should never have been a Chernobyl. But uh, let's not get into that today. On this date in 1963, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, the first and still only Catholic and Irish-American to be elected President of the United States, honored his family homeland with a visit. The day before, he had been to Berlin, where he made his famous Ich bin ein Berliner speech, which apparently may not have been absolutely correct German, but did show the, uh, the people of West Berlin that the West stood with them against the forces of world communism, which today seems like such a quaint threat to take over the world, but certainly did not look that way 50 years ago. Of course, while Soviet-style communism is no longer with us, China is still being run by the Communist Party of the People's Republic. The Chinese communist leadership has morphed along the way into some of the world's leading capitalists, apparently. And finally, on June 27, 1969, a police raid on the Stonewall Inn, a gay club located in New York, turned violent as patrons and local sympathizers began rioting against the police. New York's gay community had grown weary of the police targeting gay clubs. The crowd in the street watched quietly as the Stonewall's employees were arrested, 
But apparently when three drag queens and a lesbian were forced into the paddy wagon, the crowd began throwing bottles at the cops. The protests spilled over into neighboring streets and order was not restored until the deployment of New York's riot police. The riot has since been seen as a defining moment in the struggle for equal rights for homosexual men and women. And the name Stonewall is a byword for that struggle. And we must, of course, note at the top of today's program that yesterday the United States Supreme Court struck down the Defense of Marriage Act. It also refused to weigh in on the matter of Prop 8, California's ballot proposal, which defined marriage as a union between a man and a woman, which won handily at the polls but was overturned by judicial ruling. The state of California declined to defend its proposition, which is the customary practice, which basically left the group which sponsored the initiative having to challenge it in court. It was ruled they had no standing to do so, yada, yada. People are still weighing what this, uh, this decision means, but it does appear to be a striking victory for advocates of gay marriage everywhere in the United States. And that's about all we can say today because uh, legal pundits are going back and forth over what this is going to mean here in California and in other states. We will continue, of course, to follow that story. And speaking of legal matters, our quote of the day comes from Supreme Court Chief Justice John Marshall, who once said, Sometimes integrity is the subtlest and most effective strategy of all. We have two quips of the day. The first from Mark Twain, which is, To be busy is man's only happiness. There's surely some truth in that, but we also like this one from Gilda Radner. I base most of my fashion taste on what doesn't itch. Gilda, I'm with you on that one. Our joke of the day is as follows. A rich elderly couple is sitting in their backyard. The husband says to the wife, Darling, you know, times are tough. Perhaps you could learn to cook so we could fire the chef. The wife pondered that for a moment and said, All right, perhaps you could learn to screw so we could fire the gardener. And I hasten to add that the opinion heard in that joke, like all those heard in this program, does not necessarily represent the views of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. All of which, as a general rule, use more dignified language. Actually, given that that one is a bit shaky, I think we'll add another joke of the day, which comes from Jimmy Fallon's writers. Mitt Romney's former campaign manager has launched a super PAC to stop Hillary Clinton from becoming president. It makes sense because if there's one thing Romney's campaign manager is good at, it's stopping someone from becoming president. Our stats of the day are as follows. Apparently, according to the New York Times, up to 60% of tickets for concerts and theater events are being snapped up by computer programs or bots. Many of them run out of India or Russia. The tickets are then resold online at sizable premiums. Which just stinks. On a happier note, according to the Wall Street Journal, Australia has been ranked as the happiest industrialized nation on Earth for the third straight year. Sweden, if you're keeping track, came in second, and Canada third. The U.S., sixth in the quality of life rankings, which are judged on employment, income, environment, and health. Hey, we're number six. Hey, we're number six. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's go. Let's go. 
And uh, we do, of course, expect our Australia correspondent to weigh in on uh, that ranking. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week, or I guess it was in recent months, for the private sector. Given that more than a dozen popular Republican and Democratic elected officials in such states as Iowa, Michigan, Georgia, and Nebraska have turned down the chance to run for U.S. Senate seats out of concern that nothing is accomplished there. Said Iowa Lieutenant Governor Kim Reynolds, who turned down a chance to run for an open Senate seat, at the federal level, it's so partisan, it's dysfunctional. That's pretty sad. Also sad, we would note, is the fact that it was last week a bad week for letting go of material things after two Buddhist monks from Thailand were videoed wearing stylish aviator sunglasses and expensive wireless headphones while riding on a private jet. Officials then reprimanded the monks for, quote, not adhering to the Buddha's teachings of simplicity and self-restraint, unquote. And it was an ugly week last week for drinking on the job. After an alleged burglar's decision to knock back a couple of beers during a break-in led to his arrest. Apparently, Moses Wilson, age 29, was allegedly stealing copper piping from an upstate New York home when he drank some beer he found in the basement. Police later traced DNA left on the cans to Wilson. And finally, it was both a bad and ugly week last week for consumer complaints after a British man called the police emergency line to complain that the prostitute he'd ordered wasn't attractive enough. Said the dissatisfied John, she misdescribed herself and misrepresented herself. Basically, she was ugly. Well, we can't speak to that, but we do know this. Basically, he's a moron. At this point in the show, we're going to introduce, I think, a new feature. And it occurs to me, Mr. Millen, that we now have entered our 12th year of broadcasting here on KDVS. How many more do we have left in us? We don't know. But we do know that if we don't introduce a new feature called the lightning round, and we start clearing up this huge volume of material we've amassed, we may be buried in it. So let's see if we can sustain a couple items a minute for a few minutes. Starting with this, in a survey that correlated Americans' incomes with their religious affiliation, reformed Jews emerged as the most affluent group, with 67% making more than $75,000 a year. Hindus were second with 65% at that income level. Conservative Jews came in third with 57%, and the Pew Research Center noted that Pentecostals, Baptists, and Jehovah's Witnesses were the least affluent, with less than 20% making $75,000 a year. I know, Mr. Millen, I do not know where the Buddhists come in, except perhaps to note that at least some of them are flying around in private jets wearing chic aviator sunglasses. And with this item from the New York Times, apparently, although 80,000 people were caught lying about prior criminal records when attempting to buy a gun back in 2010, only 44 of them were actually charged with a crime. Also, according to the Times, there's this grim statistic. In India, about 100,000 women are burned to death each year by husbands or families. Another 125,000 die from injuries inflicted in domestic violence that's never reported to police. We should note that Mr. Marillan, who's lived in India a fair amount of time, has noted that a cooking fire accident seems all too common in the Indian subcontinent. 
This, of course, frees a man up to go get another wife and another dowry. And really does amount to mass murder, no matter how you shake it. There's another stat we don't like. According to CNN.com, since George H.W. Bush was elected back in 1988, every president has been a graduate of either Harvard or Yale. In fact, last November, it was Harvard versus Harvard in the Romney versus Obama race. And if you're keeping score, no less than eight Harvard grads have served as U.S. president so far. Another stat we don't like. Apparently, one in 20 patients admitted to U.S. hospitals picks up an infection they didn't have when they arrived. Those infections cause the death of 100,000 people a year. Of course, this prompts uh, suggestions from the Center for Disease Control that hospitals should do more to prevent infection. Then again, various doctors and hospitals have been rather indiscriminate in their use of carbapenem, which used to be, you know, the silver bullet to kill, uh, to kill bugs. Back in my day, that was the one you kept on the shelf to pull off when you really needed it. Apparently indiscriminate use has rendered it much less useful. Here's an item from the idiot file. According to the Wall Street Journal, a new survey says actuaries have the best jobs in America. Of course, this is based on the criteria of physical demands, work environment, income stress, and hiring outlook. It's noted that biomedical and software engineers were next. Military personnel, lumberjacks, and newspaper reporters had the ignominious distinction of holding the worst jobs. I don't know. You give me a choice of being a lumberjack or an actuary, and I think I would opt for the outdoor life. And uh, from the wacky file, how about this item? Apparently, the mayoral race in the Mexican city of Jalapa, which is described as crime and corruption ridden, a man named Sergio Chamorro is running his cat named Morris. Said Chamorro, Morris sleeps almost all day and does nothing. And that fits the profile of a politician. This caused Jay Leno to weigh in. In Jalapa, Mexico, a cat named Morris is running for mayor. You know the difference between a cat and a politician? Well, cats don't pretend to care about you. And here's one I saw a week ago, which just kind of has me dropping my jaw, but I think I'll just read it as written. According to The Week, the Pope has conceded that there is, as long rumored, a strong gay faction in Vatican politics. Pope Francis told an organization of Latin American priests and nuns, quote, the gay lobby is mentioned and it's true. It is there. Adding, we need to see what we can do was noted that ahead of Pope Benedict XVI's February resignation, the Italian papers were full of stories about a gay cabal in the Vatican that used blackmail and corruption to influence policy. Some implied that the group engineered Benedict's resignation. The Vatican declined to comment on that this week, and the Latin American group apologized for inadvertently making its minutes public. Wow. You know, one thing buried in the story that came out last week about uh, that the fact that a court order was now going to allow over-the-counter sales of the morning-after pill, Plan B, um, well, was the fact that the Obama administration announced before that that it would no longer contest the court order. Previous to that, it had been fighting efforts to make this method of contraception more readily available. Well, I guess better late than never. 
Speaking of court orders, we do want to applaud the Supreme Court for its ruling, which came out last week, a unanimous ruling that human genes are a product of nature and therefore may not be patented. That ruling, which is a blow for common sense, quashed patents held by the pharmaceutical company Myriad Genetics. They basically tried to patent two genes known to be linked to breast and ovarian cancer. Myriad argued that they had isolated the genes by spending millions of dollars on research. Justice Clarence Thomas stated that naturally occurring DNA may not be treated in the same way as, quote, human-made inventions, unquote. Myriad had been the only company legally able to perform expensive tests for hereditary breast and ovarian cancers. Within hours of the ruling, several other companies announced plans to offer testing for the genes. Here, here. Now, speaking of DNA, we do not know what to make of this item, which came up several months back. We're going to have to do some follow-up on it. But the story was that cows have some DNA, which they apparently borrowed from snakes. This surprising finding indicates that genes may be able to travel between species more readily than we thought. Turns out molecular biologists analyzing the cow genome discovered that 25% of its DNA had originated in a reptile, possibly a snake. Scientists have long known that DNA can travel between microbes, but the lateral transfer of genes between species has never been observed in more complex creatures. It's noted that the reptilian DNA segments may have hitchhiked on a virus that infected a cow or been transmitted by a tick that bit a snake and then a cow. These jumping genes continue to replicate. This returns us to our fear that uh, genes such as the Monsanto-engineered Roundup-ready gene put into various crops may jump ship and go into weed species. In fact, there's evidence now that is happening, and that is a worry. All right, remember a couple weeks back when we mentioned this prison gang member, Tavon White? Not only was he running a massive racketeering scheme while incarcerated, he also impregnated no less than four of the female guards in the facility. This did cause Jay Leno to speculate on how desperate you have to be to have a sexual liaison to pick one of your prisoners. But perhaps topping that story is the news that a man named Christopher Knight, who's been accused in Maine of over a thousand burglaries in houses that surround where he lives, which is out in the woods... Well, the authorities finally took him in. According to the New York Times, residents and second homeowners in the Belgrade Lake areas of central Maine were relieved to learn of the arrest of the hermit, Christopher Knight, age 47. The piece noted that to some he was a figure of sympathy, like Boo Radley, the recluse in To Kill a Mockingbird. Here's the amazing part. Apparently the extensive media coverage of Knight's emergence from 27 years of solitude captured the imagination of people around the world who began sending him bail money and even marriage proposals. Now, our advice is, if you're thinking about getting married, we suggest you do not make a marriage proposal to a hermit who slits window screens in order to break in and help himself to chicken, burgers, and peanut butter. We're pretty sure that he won't change, even if you marry him. Speaking of change, we do hope that alleged comedian Melissa McCarthy can change to become funny. A couple weeks back, I happened to flip on the television and catch a Saturday Night Live episode with her as the alleged host. 
I thought it was amazingly unfunny, so much so that I looked it up on the web and found a rather glowing review of her performance by some knucklehead. In fact, this correspondent was so appalled that I can't resist quoting from bitchy film critic Rex Reed, who described Melissa McCarthy as cacophonous, tractor-sized, and a humongous creep, also a hippo. Adding, Melissa McCarthy is a gimmick comedian who's devoted her short career to being obese and obnoxious with equal success. I admit, it's probably a low blow to go after her obesity. But as far as the comedy goes, what are we going to do, people? The great comics of our era are dying off, and who's replacing them? I mean, it's so bad that these days, Jim Belushi is considered to be a comedian. In spite of having no demonstrable comedy chops aside from the actual name, Belushi. And final item, I guess the FBI has given up searching for Jimmy Hoffa again. Yes, you may have noticed last week that for at least the third time in the last decade, the FBI picked up some shovels and combed through dirt and mud looking for Jimmy Hoffa. Why isn't this raising some questions about the intelligence gathering abilities of the Federal Bureau of Investigation? We also want to segue into the question of, if the NSA is so good at gathering data, how come they can't find Edward Snowden? All right, let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. We got lots of stuff in segment two.